Here the old gods are dead. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to another episode of the Creepy Wee Podcast. We're on time this week. <laughs> You're welcome. To be fair, I can't remember when we were late last, but it couldn't have been that long ago. <laughs> Okay, what I was thinking about the day actually, when I was maybe like 17 or 18, I like complained to my dad that I felt like time was passing too fast. And he went, wait till your 21st birthday and it'll pass like in the blink of an eye. And he didn't lie. It's actually kind of scary. <laughs> like, sorry to be depressing to like folk who are younger listening to this, but it, it really does. <laughs> oh, oh, there ain't no other way. <laughs> I am so serious. I remember like being in like my first year of uni vividly and now I'm like in a PhD and I took a year out between my master's and my PhD and like it happened in the book of an eye. It's scary. Love that so much. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like the crushing weight of mortality. Anyway, great intro. I hope everyone's having a lovely Wednesday. Never trust how you feel about your life on a Wednesday, but especially never trust about how you feel in your life on a Wednesday after listening to us in the middle of winter. It's, it's just... <laughs> like, we'll go be listening to this on their commutes as well. So, like, an absolute rancid way to go to work. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm also not because someone needed to talk about it. It's sad. it's really sad. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, talking of commutes, it's not a bad thing for once. It's not a bad thing for <laughs> once. I saw something really funny today. First of all, I didn't realize how like work from home culture was so so prominent still because like obviously in the industry I work in, you don't really notice it because it's kind of hard to work from home and work in a lab. Like you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed recently that on Tuesdays, if I get like a rush hour train, like that's the only day of the week, I actually notice loads of people and it's like really annoying. But today there was like, we got to, we were pulling into Waverly late as usual. Scott Rail stays consistent in that way. <laughs> but there was a woman who was like, like a sort of like a middle-aged woman who was like, sorry, can I get in front of you? Because like, I really need to rush to work and I'm like late. 
and I was like thinking to myself like is that not everyone on this service right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, what makes you special? But people were just letting her pass uh, and then there was this very uh, I'm gonna say obviously gay man uh-huh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he was like sure no worries uh, but there's this there's this sort of like inflection that I think needs to be addressed that, that gay men in particular use which goes like sort of like unnoticed by a majority of like straight people I think where they actually like it's they want you dead <laughs> and it's not like like they're being polite but it's like I don't want fag bashed right now <laughs> um, and it's so like it's very subtle but he was so like casually annoyed but there was this sort of like smirk on his face and I didn't know why but then I realized what platform we were getting into and he had let her go in front of him and then he turned around <laughs> to face the door of the platform we would have been arriving at and like you could see when she realized because <gasps> she turned around and noticed him turned around and you could see when she realized that she had been played for a fool and it was like one of the most wonderful moments I have ever like witnessed unfold like I was so in awe at how cool he had played it wow i'm in awe as well and it was definitely malicious it was definitely malicious like (laughs) it's ironic that we bitch about scott real so much and sometimes they actually advertise for this podcast (laughs) (laughs) especially like because i think it's user dependent so like if you've been like googling like trains lately or like planning a trip you'll get adverts for lner scott real and then avanti west coast always advertise yeah. to your listeners because it's like a younger demographic and i think it's just so funny we bitch about them constantly yeah anyway i feel like we've got it's not like the longest episode ever like we're really taking the name the creepy we podcast and running in with it the day yeah <laughs> we're running up we're running up to christmas guys we're running up to our christmas break so we've got a smaller episode today but it's going to be it's going to be like a historical ooky spooky kooky one and i kind of like my research kind of grew arms and legs so it's going to be a bit alchemy in scotland but also focusing on this guy he's called the wizard of the north his name's michael scott it was quite it was kind of hard to like research this guy because like the office. yeah well i was trying to like research him Word. and all i kept getting was stuff for the office yeah. <laughs> i was doing my <laughs> fucking tits in anyway we'll take a wee break and then we'll talk about alchemy i mean do you ken anything about alchemy it's i do like the philosopher's stone Oh, <laughs> so no. Well, <laughs> um, kinda, sort of kinda. Well, I like added this onto my list because when we did drunk history, and I can I did want to do drunk history again, but research for that finding wee topics like that is a lot harder than doing like normal research. Yeah, you need to do a lot. So when we were doing the drunk history episode, we spoke about alchemy very briefly and then i actually added it onto my list and i was like i want to talk about this more in depth as far as i'm aware it's just chemistry because we made like uh quicksilver was it no we no quicksilver is mercury but we made like a a sort of silver thing using another house or something one time in chemistry and then i was like oh my god i'm an alchemist (laughs) that is exactly what a gay person would say Yeah, well, it was like you made like a mirror inside a test tube. Oh, we did that. We did that. Yeah. Well, it was cool. I mean, it is the like predecessor of chemistry. It's a form of speculative thought that basically wanted to transform base metals like lead or copper into silver or gold. And then alchemists also at the same time as doing this 
aimed to discover a cure for disease or even extend human life to even the late point of immortality. It was practiced in Asia, India, the Muslim world, and then in Europe. It kind of like spread across the continents. And alchemy was actually the name given in Latin Europe in the 12th century to this practice of thought that corresponds with astrology. So it's like kind of a combination of both, like the mm. the base metal, try to find the the like cure disease and astrology all kind of come under this umbrella term alchemy. But both alchemy and astrology represent attempts to discover man's relationship to the cosmos and then to exploit that relationship to our benefit, whether it be riches or like just a richness of life by avoiding disease. Alchemy may be called scientific. Astrology is concerned with man's relationship to the stars and how it influences us. And then alchemy is more associated with like like terrestrial stuff, like stuff that we can like gather ourselves and maybe influence. But both alchemy and astrology have always been pursued in the belief that the processes human beings witness in heaven and on earth manifest the will of the creator and, if correctly understood, will yield the key to the creator's intentions. So it's by like pseudoscience yes but i think they had the best intentions because when like alchemy and astrology are becoming like very very popular so like it's kind of like the first kind of inclinsy like alchemy being popular in europe around the 12th century but by like the time of, like like nostradamus and stuff like maybe like a few hundred years later it's really starting to pick up steam like in medieval europe and this is like during the time of like the plague like the bubonic plague that like wipes out a majority of the population in Europe. So it's like, people are like, if we can understand God's techniques, we yeah. we, we can maybe avoid like great catastrophes like this. But there's also like maybe like a, like a selfish aspect to it where it's like kings and lords are pumping loads of money into it because they want to live forever or they want to get really rich off of God's power and create gold for nothing essentially. Is that not like essentially like nothing's changed though? Because there are so many people who invest into like healthcare startup things, but only because it's something that they personally are afflicted or have been afflicted by. And then I'm like, yeah, it's good, but I don't think it comes from necessarily the most pure place in the world. Well, okay. It kind of reminded me, um, I mean, it's not really like a health thing. Well, I suppose it is. Like, the way that, like, kings are, like, pumping all this money into, like, avoiding disease so that they can, like, live a, a longer life really reminded me, like, how Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are pumping yes. loads of money into space travel so that they can avoid like ecological disaster climate change like yeah that's great avoid ecological disaster who wouldn't want to do that but can you take the rest of us with you kind of i mean that's what it reminded me we were we are going to talk a wee bit about a monarch who pumped money into alchemy and it, it will have a scottish twist i promise is it your man it's a james <laughs> it certainly oh. is a james um <laughs> So the introduction of alchemy to the West came in the 8th century when Arabians brought it to Spain. So if you didn't ken this, but in the like 8th century, like well through to like the 1200s, a large majority of Spain were actually ruled by people who practiced the faith of Islam. And they kind of like, these are like the forerunners of like maths and science 
And they're in their Ainui Renaissance or in the northern tepe Africa and Spain. Yeah, like sort of like very Western Mediterranean. Yeah, they're areas. hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of Europe in terms of like enlightenment and understanding science and maths. So they kind of like bring alchemy to Spain and then it spreads to the rest of Europe pretty quickly. The Arabian belief was that metals are made up of mercury and sulfur in varying proportions and gold was seen as the perfect metal and all others were less perfect. So it was kind of this, it's kind of these like experiments to like remove imperfections for these base metals and then eventually it'll turn into gold. It was a very popular idea that these lower metals could be transmuted into gold by the means of a substance known as the philosopher's stone. So that's what that's what (laughs) that is what you would use to like that's like the compound that you would use to purify a metal and then turn it into gold. Yeah, everybody under everybody understand that so far. <laughs> Where do you get the philosopher's stone? It is like something that can be created. It must have a recipe that can be followed, or somebody has to like discover it. Do you know what I mean? And then it can be used in these like quote unquote scientific experiments to turn right, right. any base metal into gold. The philosopher's stone is also believed to be able to bestow the power of immortality. And the Chinese name for it was the pill of immortality. Nice. I mean, it's just nonsense, oh really. My God. But... Uh, what's her name? What's her name? Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. Oh my God, I. <laughs> <laughs> you see that these hucksters have been running around for thousands of years. Yeah, it's just a rebranding thing. <laughs> I love that. So the mere familiar that alchemy became, the mere clearly it was understood that gold making was the almost exclusive objective of alchemy. And Europeans proved no more resistance to the lure of this objective than their Arabic predecessors. By 1350, alchemical texts were pouring out of the monastic copy rooms in Europe. And at about this time, personal memoirs of alchemists began to appear. The most famous of these was from a French scribe named Nicolas Flamel. Wait, he was real? Shut up. Not an original thought in that I was just going to say that. Like, she's genuinely never come up (laughs) with an original name. (laughs) So Nicolas Flamel, in in his memoirs, claimed that he dreamed an occult manuscript, found it, and succeeded in deciphering it with the aid of a Jewish scholar who was learned in the mystic Hebrew writings known as the Kabbalah. (sighs) Ah... In 1382, Flamel claimed to have succeeded in the great work, which means he was able to achieve producing the Philosopher's Stone and was able to turn lead into gold or mercury into gold. I mean, nobody cares for sure if he did do it, but he certainly did become very, 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 very rich. And he made huge donations to the Catholic Church. Always comes back. Always comes back to donations to the Catholic, <laughs> Catholic Church. <laughs> how many more donations do they fucking need? And how many more like immortality <laughs> items do they need? Like I'm so sick of these fuckers. <laughs> no offense to the Catholic Church. Wow, <laughs> Real or not, the fact that royal and papal money was being poured into alchemy led to actual scientific discoveries. And its influence on modern chemistry and science can be denied. In Europe, alchemy led to the discovery of the manufacture of amalgams and advances in many other chemical processes and the apparatus required for them. So messing about with these metals kind of resulted in like stronger metals being made, aka like iron being turned into steel and so on. 
And eventually, by the 16th century, the alchemists in Europe had separated into two groups. The first group focused on the discovery of new compounds and their reactions, leading to what is now the science of chemistry. And the second group continued to look at more spiritual, metaphysical sides of alchemy, continuing the search for immortality and the transmutation of base metals into gold. And this led to the modern idea of alchemy, what what we know, which is like wizards and wee rooms and castles like tinkering mm-hmm. away with like metals and stuff. I love that. So we obviously spoke about the influence of alchemy briefly in our Drunk History episode when we touched upon the Birdman of Stirling Castle, John Damien. Okay. <laughs> and this Italian courtier directed the building of alchemical furnaces at the Palace of Holyrood and Stirling Castle under the instruction of James IV to discover Quinta Essentia, which is the fifth element. But John Damien wasn't the only alchemist active in Scotland. Records tell you William Fowler and John Mossman, who were both apothecaries working in medieval Scotland, you will find that mace alchemists are actually apothecaries. So apothecaries are essentially people who mm. look into how natural herbs and minerals and stuff impact health and can be used as like cures and stuff. Like Katniss's mom in the Hunger Games. I'm back in my Hunger Games <laughs> era. Yeah, so that's that's a fun fact <laughs> moment if you haven't read the book. <laughs> um, it, it is like that. And to talk about Nostradamus again, before he was ever like the seer or anything like that, he was a very, very famous and popular apothecary. And he made loads of money during the plague. And actually, Nostradamus was immune to the plague. Obviously, it wiped out like one third of Europe's population but if you're listening to this right now and you're a European descent it's mere likely that you have an any immunity to the bubonic plague because your ancestors survived it is that true no way yeah survival of the fittest baby that's it in action <laughs> yeah I know but I didn't know that that would apply like generations later to like the bubonic plague I'm going to do some research into this yeah, you can look into it. But basically, that's how certain apothecaries like Nostradamus were able to work with plague victims and no become ill themselves is because they've got this, like, antibodies in them that are able to combat the bubonic plague. So, Mossman, this apothecary, actually supplied materials for John Damien and the King's Quinta Essential Projects at Holyrood and Stirling. He is also recorded as having built the furnaces and bellows in both palaces. The quintessence was an imagined healing substance with some of the properties of distilled alcohol or aquavitae. James IV's furnaces may have been intended to represent an image of a king who had a successful rule and a well-being to his subjects and by having this command the supernatural and a literal elemental force. So, like, this is like seen as if you're a, if you're a king and you're able to invest in something like this, it's kind of like a show of power. Like you're like yeah. the other like powerful leaders of Europe who are doing the same thing at the same time. But also, your subjects would be thinking like, oh, if he's like trying to cure disease, then he must be doing that for us. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how monarchs are like subject to peer pressure all the other kings are doing it <laughs> well it's kind of crazy because james the fourth like actually had like like a no bad image by doing this which would obviously be torn to bits at the battle of Flodden. <laughs> like it's kind of like um kind of how it's like that's a classic like um nero played his liar while rome burned or whatever like he fiddled while rome burned which is like the Ooh, common phrase. Look at you with Roman history. Um, well, 
on the morning of the Battle of Flodden, like James IV was like running around looking for his deck of cards. <laughs> and that's real. <laughs> that that actually you happened. For your egg. <laughs> Shut up. For your egg. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so you actually might be wondering why the history of alchemy in Scotland and how does this relate to this Michael Scott guy that I was talking about earlier? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I am actually. To be wondering. honest, like I've always been fascinated with alchemy. I think I had like this. Remember, like the Egypt, the Egyptology books. Yeah, it's kind of a gay yeah. thing. They had like a witch's one, like the scholastic. Yes, books. I have that one. Yeah, I have and that it, one as it well. came with like a wand and stuff, and it came with all these minerals. Well, I actually had a bit of it uh, in the book. I had a bit about alchemy, and like since then, I've been kind of obsessed with it. And then on this like wee rabbit hole that I fell in, I came across this Scottish alchemist, quote unquote, called Michael Scott. He wouldn't really think of Scotland in like the like like maybe like the twelve hundreds has been like like a forerunner in intelligence and <laughs> like in a way that would inf- affect the entire world. Like you you normally think of like yeah, Scottish no. inventors being in the last like two hundred years maybe, um or especially yeah. like the Scottish intellects maybe coming out in the like Enlightenment period like the late sixteen hundreds seventeen hundreds and like Edinburgh and stuff, but. What we did have in the 1200s was an actual polygot, mathematician, scholar, alchemist, and some even say wizard, who was called Michael Scott. And Scott is a figure of both history and legend, which kind of makes him hard to discern. Although believed to have come from the Scottish borders or even Fife, there's kind of been doubts on his origins since 1223 when he declined the position of archbishop in Ireland by claiming that he was ignorant of Gaelic. However, the UC Gaelic is not widespread in southern Scotland, and given that Scott had broken the barrier of several languages we know in Piedmontese functions, this claim might have been exaggerated as an excuse to refuse the offer. <laughs> so, like it. Yeah, it sounds like a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a letter to Stephen Langton, the Cardinal of the English Catholic Church, dated in 1227. Pope Honorius III described Michael Scott as ardently devoted to letters and science from boyhood up. It's likely that he's a well-educated, rich child and that that was information that the Pope knew. Historian Mm. Lynn Thorndike infers him as a fatherless boy Mm. raised by his uncle and Sir Walter Scott identified him with the Sir Michael Scott of Balwiri, sent in 1290 on a special mission to Norway, but this is rejected by most modern historians. However, a connection to minor nobility is no real doubt, given the cost of education at the time. His education allegedly begins at the Cathedral School of Durham and includes Oxford and the University of Paris, where he studied mathematics, astrology, astronomy, alchemy and medicine. Nobody really kens where he's fae. They just ken that he's fae, like, kind of the central southern belt of Scotland. And that he's able to afford this education and is in travels all around like England and Europe to achieve that. But the first records of Michael Scott are in Toledo, Spain. As I said earlier, this part of Spain is largely under Muslim rule. He's said to be working to translate Arabic astronomy texts into Latin. Actually, also, Michael Scott's one of the first people to translate Aristotle's papers and research no and way. like yeah and stories that are a sort of wrote like many of these students in spain are doing this but he's one of them 
A recent study based on a passage written by Scott on multiple rainbows, a phenomenon which was only understood by modern physics and recent observations, suggests that Michael Scott may have been in contact with the Tuareg tribe in the Sahara Desert, who, by using the clear desert skies, were more advanced in the study of celestial objects and the effects of rain in the sky. So, he is learning all this stuff way before the West does. Like, stuff that we've only been able to understand in the last, like, hundred-ish years. Michael Scott was learning a thousand years ago, nearly, like, 800 years ago. Wow. That's very autistic code. <laughs> also, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, when someone from here like goes on a gap year to india i feel like that's the revelations they think they're having i mean he's able to speak like fluent arabic and is able to and he's kind of like a wandering scholar there was quite a lot of them how many languages do you say he spoke for it's well more than that we can only guess wow he's kind of like a wandering scholar and there's quite a lot of them at this time but they kind of like go around the Tepe Africa, Egypt, even in Asia, uh, are in Sigma like... Sigma male grand yeah, yeah, he's one of these people. Um, but by 1227, Michael Scott and Leonardo Fibonacci were both in the court of Frederick II, ruler of the Holy Roman Emperor. <sighs> Fibonacci, love her. <laughs> so Fibonacci is <laughs> a very famous mathematician. You might kind of for the Fibonacci sequence. Um, if you did that in maths at school. Both Fibonacci and Michael Scott would play their part in transmitting much of the scientific knowledge of the Muslims into Europe, mainly Italy and Sicily, thereby planting many of the seeds of the scientific developments surrounding the Italian Renaissance hundreds of years before it happened. Scott is said to have been an imperial tutor, but manuscripts give him the title of astrologer. Scott had written a number of books but his most significant contributions are through other people and related to his works on translations. The second version of Leonardo Fibonacci's famous book on mathematics, Liber Abaci, was dedicated to Michael Scott in 1227. No way. So, like, all the work that Fibonacci did in that book, he did it with the help of Michael Scott and his translations. Do you think they explored each other's bodies? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> The Holy Roman Emperor Frederick sent Scott to communicate his translations and other scholarly works at prominent European universities, including Oxford, where Scott met a young Roger Bacon, who's kind of like another polyglot astrologer and mathematician for England. Who And it's said that Michael Scott heavily influenced this young man and he became a kind of, like, similar predecessor in a kind of way. He's kind of like Scottish Forrest Gump. Academic. <laughs> academic version. An academic Forrest Gump. Scottish Forrest Academic Gump. <laughs> this is interesting. So, Scott also explored the Lipari Islands, attempting to understand, in alchemical terms, the now-realised connection between volcanic activity and the presence of gold. This is something that we didn't ken for hundreds of years... And I didn't know till right now, if I'm honest. It is now known that the California gold rush in 1849 was prompted by the outcome of volcanic activity. Oh my That's God. why that whole area of America is like rich in gold, is because it's where volcanoes are or have been. I love when I learn things on this podcast. 
like completely unbeknownst <laughs> to me. Like this is so left field. <laughs> I was honestly <laughs> gasping my whole way through this research. <laughs> in a letter in twelve twenty seven, Emperor Frederick questioned Scott concerning the foundations of the earth, the geography and the rulership of the heavens, and basically wanted Scott to find out where heaven was and exactly where God would be in that heaven. And he also wanted to know the precise locations of hell and purgatory. And what is he going to do with that information? Like, I'm so serious. <laughs> like, what are you going to do when you know where purgatory is? Are you going to go there? <laughs> Why? Um, Frederick also asked about the soul and about volcanoes and rivers and seas. And Frederick attempted to catch Scott out in his ca- calculations of the distance of heaven by scaling from the height of a church tower. So Scott was, like, scaling down this church tower and, like, taking measurements and then, like, kind of, like, doing sums and stuff to work out, like, how far away heaven was, essentially, or the heavens. Secretly, Frederick actually has the tower secretly lowered. So it must be, like, one of these structures where it's, like, sewn to a certain height and then the top's, like, wood. And he secretly has it lowered to try and catch Scott out on his calculations. And he's like, right, well, what are your calculations now? And Scott replied by either saying that the moon had gotten further away or the tower had gotten shorter. So he could now, like, catch me. He was like, well... So he was right. Some sources report that Emperor Frederick used scholars like Michael Scott as messengers to Arab rulers like Al-Kamil for diplomatic and scholarly exchanges because of his knowledge of Arabic. And that Frederick even brought Michael Scott to the Holy Land during the Sixth Crusade in 1228. So he's literally everywhere. <laughs> the date of Scott's death remains uncertain, but there is a legend that was popular in the late 13th and 14th century that said Scott actually was able to foresee his death. And he said that one day a small stone would strike him in the head and kill him. And because of that, he wore an iron skull cap to avoid his death. However... Oh, no, not the tinfoil hat. <laughs> you you can't wear a hat in church. Everybody kinds that. You have to take your hat off. So yeah. one day in church, he removed his cap only to be struck by a stone and die. No, where, where did the fucking stone come from? <laughs> <laughs> For the roof. <laughs> Do you think someone was playing a prank on him and it went really wrong? They were like, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> but... After his death, Scott would acquire this sinister reputation of being a magician or a wizard. And actually, he's the only Scotsman who appears in Dante Alighieri's epic poem, Inferno. No, wait, he's what? He's in Inferno. Because <laughs> obviously, he's like. <laughs> Princess Diana, like, he's everywhere. Like, people love him. <laughs> so in the Divine Comedy, Scott can be found in the fourth Bolgia, located in the eighth circle of hell, reserved for sorcerers, astrologers, and false prophets who claimed that they could see the future when in fact they could not. And he is described by Dante as being, quote, spare in the flank, which I think is really unfair because this kind of Dante's only put him in here because he thinks that. Michael Scott's a magician when in fact Michael Scott's actually just a scientist yeah we've all been there (laughs) but Scott's reputation would be rescued through the fires of Dante's Inferno but it would take time and he's kind of rescued when 
Walter Scott writes a poem basically called The Lay, The Last Minstrel. And it's about, Michael Scott appears in that. After doing my research, it would kind of be hard to deny the work that this man did as a travelling polygot. He helped to bring the knowledge of Muslim mathematicians, the scientific works of Aristotle, and even more to the Latin world. Like, without such work, great minds like Leonardo da Vinci and Galileo Galilei would have had a lot less to work with during the Renaissance. And we would now have had the like we would now have had the Enlightenment as fast as we Well yeah, because the Muslim mathematicians were like way ahead yeah. in terms of like so, concept. <laughs> so like having someone like him to liaise with these mathematicians and leaders in the Muslim world without people like him would be a lot far behind mere behind than we are now. So hats off to Michael Scott. That's- Wild. How crazy is that? This is eh? like for real. What? This for, How have I never heard <laughs> this? This is for hours? real, for real. He's in Dante's Inferno. I literally had to go and try and read Dante's Inferno, and I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> Every time I try to read Dante's Inferno, what? I get like maybe like a few bits, a few hundred words in, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why do I not remember him in Dante's Inferno? I was like, bitch, you've never read it the whole way through. You get bored. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's been the Creepy Wee Podcast. If you liked this episode, please rate us five stars. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the Creepy Wee Podcast or Twitter at the Creepy Wee Pod. And for anything else, you can go to our website, thecreepyweepodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Bye. Um, do You Believe in Magic by Kylie Minogue. <laughs> I, ca- I can't say that high, but that, I'm just going to say it. That's the song to listen to. It, no, it's just called magic. Why am I saying? But like the chorus is, "Do you believe in magic? Do you? Do you? Do you?" Okay. Anyway. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.